title of the message today is The Choosing of the Twelve. The Choosing of the Twelve. If you have found that, if you would join me in standing for the reading of God's Word, if you're able to do so physically, um, we're going to go ahead and stand together out of respect and reverence for the Word of God on the Lord's Day here. Mark chapter number 3 and verse number 13. The Bible says this, And he goeth up into a mountain, and calleth unto him whom he would, and they came unto him. And he ordained twelve, that they should be with him, and that he might send them forth to preach, and to have power to heal sicknesses, and to cast out devils. And Simon he surnamed Peter, and James the son of Zebedee, and John the brother of James, and he surnamed them Boan, Bo, Boan, Urgenes, something like that, okay, which is, this is a little easier to say, the sons of thunder. Uh, verse 18, and Andrew and Philip and Bartholomew and Matthew and Thomas and James the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus and Simon the Canaanite and Judas Iscariot, which also betrayed him, and they went into an house. Father, thank you for the service thus far. Thank you for the songs. Thank you for the, uh, the opportunity to just see each and every one of these brothers and sisters in Christ and for the many guests that are here. Lord, we're grateful for your goodness in that way. But Father, now as we look and turn our attention to the Word of God and to this instant, you would work in our hearts. And Lord, as you had called the 12, Lord, I pray that uh, we would hear your call upon our lives as well. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. So I will never forget, as long as I live, as long as my memory stays with me, uh, a time in sixth grade that made me feel like pretty amazing. So during lunchtime, we would eat lunch as fast as we could, and then we would gather together as a group of boys, and we would play pigskin. We would play the great American football. And uh, we thought, of course, we were all that in a bag of Cool Ranch Doritos at that time. You know, we thought we were pretty hot stuff when it came to our football skills. skills. But uh, we did what... Uh, what we did in sixth grade, and that was we would pick team captains, and then everybody else stood in a line, and then those team captains would then pick their team. So one by one, they would pick, you know, they would ask uh, Marcus to come on his team, and, and, uh, and, and Steve to come on his team, and, and, and on and on it went. And I'm standing there going, please pick me, please pick me. And invariably, I, I wasn't maybe the last person to get picked. Uh, but maybe like second or third to last, you know, I was kind of like, all right, we'll take Johnson, you know, we'll take that, uh, that twerpy looking kid. And, uh, and I remember though, that was, that was one day when I got picked and that toward the end of the, end of the pack, I got picked. Well, that day, uh, the quarterback uh, called a play. He said, I'm going to throw the ball and Eric. I want you to catch it. And I said, that's a great play. Okay, not exactly real, like, detailed, 
Uh, but uh, he called that play. And so sure enough, he says hike, and I go and run, and he's going back, and he's looking at me the entire time. And he takes that football, and he launches it. And it, it, it was just a high ball. And it was one of those little little footballs, little mini, mini footballs. And we're sixth grade, you know. And uh, so he, he, he throws it and chucks it in the air, and it's way up there. And I'm running for it. I'm running for it. And I dive, and I make a one-handed catch. It would have made the highlight reel on ESPN, I guarantee you. Okay. I mean, it would have gone viral if YouTube was back in, back, existed back in those days. I caught it. I landed. And, it, and, and everybody, everybody on the field was like, whoa, that was a pretty sweet catch. Eric, not bad. And so there was high fives going around, and I felt pretty good. We went to class. Next day, we eat our lunch. We get in line to pick teams. This was the greatest day of my life. It wasn't the greatest day of life, but it was, it was up there. First person cho chosen that day, I want Eric on my team. That's right. That's right. Sorry, y'all. Got to go. <laughs> it was awesome. Why? Because I was chosen. I was chosen. I was thinking back about six weeks ago during the NFL draft that uh, took place. And I know most of us are... Uh, not big fans of the NFL. We're more college football here in Oklahoma. Um, but uh, uh, at the NFL draft, uh, Trevor Lawrence was selected as the number one overall pick by the Jacksonville Jaguars. But did you know that when he was picked, they were given seven minutes, the Jaguars were, to make their first pick. And, and everyone in the sports world knew that they were going to pick Trevor Lawrence, the previous quarterback of the Clemson Tigers. And uh, everybody was just kind of waiting. They had seven minutes. They're like, well, let's just give it some time. You know, we don't want to do it like two seconds in. That would seem kind of like hasty. So let's, let's give it some time. So they waited until about six minutes was up in their seven-minute time frame to make their selection. A after that six minutes, uh, the owner said to one of the coaches, all right, go ahead and make the call to Trevor. And they called Trevor. It rang, and it went to voicemail. <laughs> and so uh, they, he has them on speakerphone, and the, and the call's just you know, ringing. And uh, it's like it goes to voicemail, and the coach looks up, goes like, um, this isn't supposed to happen. This is the NFL draft. We have about a minute left to make this decision. Uh, we want to tell Trevor before we tell the world that he is going to be our next quarterback. And so uh, the, the coach is like, the owner's like, well, call him back. Try again. So he redialed. Same thing. Goes straight to voicemail. Try again. They're starting to panic. He tried again. Went to voicemail again the third time. Trevor is probably getting a little nervous, too. He's like, man, I thought I was going to be picked. And he is there with his whole family kind of waiting, going, hey, I thought I was going to get a phone call. Evidently, maybe I'm not going to be the first person uh, selected. Finally, the new coach, Urban Meyer, said, let me try my phone. And uh, he calls him and then gets through and says, hey, Trevor, uh, you ready to be a Jacksonville Jaguar? And he said, yeah, coach, I've been really anxious. I'm, you, you can watch the video, but it's... 
It's pretty funny that uh, three times they tried to call and it went straight to voicemail. Finally, they were able to make that call and, and, uh, and uh, make that announcement that Trevor Lawrence and USA Today, their headline was, From War Room to Panic Room. Trevor Lawrence sent Jaguars to voicemail three times during NFL draft. <laughs> uh, pretty amazing. But uh, Trevor Lawrence was chosen by the Jaguars to be their quarterback. Well, just these last couple days, we went and had some time together as some men and boys. And on Friday night, we did some kickball and we did some wiffle ball. And uh, same thing happened. We uh, picked some team captains, and then those team captains began to select who was going to be on their team. And guess who did not get picked first? <laughs> uh, toward the end of the pack, yeah, you guessed it, that was me. But eventually I did get selected. Today, uh, we're going to talk about when Jesus selected who those 12 apostles would be to carry the torch of the gospel after his death and resurrection and ascension. And uh, this is a pretty uh, precious portion of scripture as we look at how he chose these men and, and uh, what he chose them to do. And so let's dive in here and let's look and study Mark's account of when Jesus chose the 12 disciples. First of all, let's look at the calling of the servants. In verse number 13, we see this. He goeth up into a mountain... And calleth unto him whom he would, and they came unto him. Now Luke in his gospel sheds a little more light on what Jesus did actually prior to his calling of the twelve. The Bible simply says here in verse number 13, he goeth up into a mountain. But Luke gives us a little bit more detail in his account of what Jesus did in that mountain. In, uh, in Luke chapter 6, in verse number 12, it says this, It came to pass in those days that he went out into a mountain to pray, and he actually continued all night in prayer to God, Luke 12, 6, 12 says. So right before Jesus selects these individuals to be the great 12 apostles and uh, the great 12 disciples that would follow him for the rest of his earthly ministry, and then again, be the, his representatives, his ambassadors beyond his uh, departure from this world. Um, he spent all night in prayer. By the way, this was a big decision to pick these men. And it would insinuate for us that we, prior to a very big decision that you and I make in our lives, it would be wise for us then to take some extended times of prayer before we make those decisions. You say, well, God's leading me to move away. Well, have you spent an extent, extended time in prayer? Jesus did before making a very crucial decision. He saw it necessary to spend all night in prayer. And so before we go and make all these decisions in our life, let's make sure we bathe those decisions in prayer like the Lord Jesus did. Um, that's not necessarily the message, but uh, that's a great little side truth uh, for us today. But let's look at this call here, the calling of the servants. In verse number 13, it says, He goeth up into a mountain, and notice this, calleth unto him whom he would. And so we see, first of all, in this calling, that his call was sovereign. He didn't call everybody. 
but there were certain individuals that he called. Now, as you look at this group of men and some of their backgrounds, these men may not have been the ones that you and I would have chosen. And Jesus here is the, uh, and I don't want to bring Jesus down to this level, but in, in using the illustration of sports and, and the team captain here, he's looking at, and he picks people that you wouldn't necessarily want to have on your team. I mean, these, these people are, I mean, we have Thomas listed in here. And what is he known for? For his great faith? No, quite the opposite. And yet Jesus chooses him knowing full well uh, what Thomas's tendencies were, what Peter's tendencies were, knowing full well that, G, that, that Peter would one day deny him three times. He also chose somebody that none of us would have ever selected to be on our team, Judas. No one would have done that. And yet Jesus does because he is sovereign and uh, because... It simply says, he, he chose, uh, calleth unto him whom he would. God is sovereign. A lot of times, he doesn't do things, God doesn't do things the way that makes sense to us. Remember the verses in Isaiah, and Isaiah reminds us that his ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our, our thoughts. For as high as the heaven is above the earth, so are his thoughts above our thoughts and his ways above our ways. It doesn't always make sense to us why God does the things that he does, but, but he has a reason. He has a purpose. And uh, we'll see some of that wisdom, uh, especially as we go through this, the gospel account. But then even beyond, God knew and saw some things in those individuals, those men, that uh, became necessary later on after he was gone. Uh, one Bible commentator pointed this out, and, and I don't... I don't know this to be 100% accurate, but I, I believe that there is some truth to this, and that is that each of these 12 men were younger men. Uh, they were perhaps in, even into their 20s when Jesus calls them to follow him. And uh, it just goes to show us, look, uh, those, those, who, those of you who are younger, uh, God has a plan and a purpose for your life, and God can use you in a great way. You, you don't have to be... Um, you know, older and more mature and seasoned in life for God to use you. No, God de definitely can and desires to use those who are young. And uh, I believe that uh, that commentator is correct, that these were uh, men who were younger in their life. And uh, that's why they were able to uh, carry it on. If he would have chosen older men, they would have maybe perhaps not been able to carry it on for too much longer. But these men did. His call was sovereign and I was thinking about uh, 1 Corinthians in chapter number uh, 1, uh, talking about how God doesn't do the things that would necessarily make sense to us as well. In, uh, in 1 Corinthians, I'm in 2 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, in uh, verse, number, uh, verse number 27, he says, But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world, to confound the wise, and God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty and base things of the world and things which are despised hath God chosen, yea, and things which are not to bring to naught things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. 
One of the reasons that he picked these unlikely band of ministers was so that no one could go and say, well, I know why he chose me. I mean, after all, I'm a Heisman Trophy winner. After all, I am, you know, the best of the best when it came to my seminary. Now, these, these men really had no uh, training. They had no uh, credentials. They really were very unlikely people to be chosen, and yet the Lord decided to pick them out of all the people that he could have picked. There were religious people there that were more religious than these individuals. There were more intellectual people, and I, I'm sure Matthew had some intellect here. Uh, he uh, was a tax collector and ended up becoming one of the gospel writers. But the point was, he picked some unlikely individuals. And friend, does that not give all of us hope? To say, hey, if God can use these 12, then God can use me. And by the way, God has chosen to use me. And I will tell you, I fit in the uh, 1 Corinthians chapter number 1 category of weak of base, of uh, things that are foolish. Who would want God? I've often asked, Lord, why do you want me to serve you? I know me. (laughs) Now, God knows me better than I know me, but I know my weaknesses. I know my tendencies. I know my lack of skill and talent. I know the, the things about me that I wouldn't necessarily pick me to serve the Lord, but God did. And God wants to use many of us and all of us. And uh, I praise the Lord for that truth. So we see that his call was sovereign, but then secondly, we see that his, their response was submissive. Uh, Mark 3 and verse number 13, once again, he goeth up into a mountain, calleth unto him whom he would. And then notice this, these five words. And they came unto him. So as he calls, they submit and go. They didn't have to, but they did decide to submit to the Lord's call. They were willing to submit to the call of God upon their lives. They were willing to leave all in order to follow him. They were submissive. Can I ask you, are you Submissive to the Lord? What is God calling you to do? Are you going to respond like these 12 and come unto Him? Or have you been fighting God? Can I just let you know from even personal experience that fighting God is a losing battle? He's the undefeated champion of the world, and he will never lose. He might let you win that battle, but when you win, you're actually losing. It's like the captain of the ship who looked into the dark night and saw faint lights in the distance. Immediately, he told his signalmen to send a message. Alter your course 10 degrees south. Well, promptly, a return message was received. Alter your course 10 degrees north. Well, the captain got angry. His command had been ignored. So he sent a second message. Alter your course 10 degrees south. I am the captain. 
Soon another message was received. Alter your course 10 degrees north. I am Seaman Third Class Jones. Well, immediately the captain sent a third message. Knowing the fear it would evoke, he said, let's, let's throw the nuclear bomb out there. Here we go. This is going to make them change their course. Alter your course 10 degrees south. I am a battleship. And he thought, boom, mic drop. They're going to move. Well, then the reply came. Alter your course 10 degrees north. I am a lighthouse. <laughs> boom, the ultimate mic drop. <laughs> now, the captain could have kept fighting that uh, seaman third-class Jones. But what good would have that have done? And what good it would be for you and I to continue to fight God and say, God, no, you need to do this. No, God, I'm not going to do what you've called me to do. I know you're the rock. I know you never change, but I'm not going to change. Well, go for it, but uh, it's to your own peril, my friend. James, in his epistle, reminds us that God resists the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. And then he says, submit yourselves, therefore, to God. And when we submit to someone, it requires great humility. And most of us don't like to be humbled. We like our pride. We like our ego stroked. We like to get our way. We like to think that, uh, you know, God is like Burger King, where we get to have it our way. But, but that's not the way it works. By the way, I don't think God's really all interested all that much in Burger King this month as they're trying to uh, donate lots of money to an LGBT-friendly uh, charity. And they've made that public here on Pride Month. By the way, it's Pride Month, and here we're talking about humility, quite different than what the world's saying, right? Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Remember King Saul way back, the very first king of Israel? Back in the Old Testament? He lost his throne. Why? Because he failed to submit to the Lord. And it was Samuel who came and told Saul that to obey is better than sacrifice and that rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. Pretty harsh words, Samuel. See, that's how God looks at it. We think, well, hey, as long as I'm being very generous in my giving to the Lord, then it's okay that I live however I want to live. Uh, no, the Lord says to obey is better than sacrifice. Obviously, giving is part of obedience, but if we're trying to buy off the Lord to excuse our sin, we're sadly mistaken. To obey is better than sacrifice. God would much rather... A very, someone in, in our church who, who's not making very much and who's just faithful to give her, her tithe and her offerings and, or, or his or her uh, offerings and, and be obedient and faithful in all the other areas than for someone to drop a big check in the offering and, and then go and live for the devil. God would much rather that. To obey is better than sacrifice. My wife shared a, a quote from A.W. Tozer with me yesterday. And here's what Tozer said. Have you noticed 
how much praying for revival has been going on of late. And, of course, Tozer's long gone by now. But he said, have you noticed how much praying for revival has been going on of late and how little revival has resulted? He said, I believe the problem is that we have been trying to substitute praying for revival or obeying, and it simply will not work to pray for revival while ignoring the plain precept laid down in Scripture is to waste a lot of words and get nothing for our trouble. And then Tozer said, prayer will become effective when we stop using it as a substitute for obedience. Talk about a mic drop. We can pray for revival, we can pray for our country, but look, friend, if we here in the house of God aren't willing to live for God and to follow the precepts of the word of God, then your prayers are going to hit the ceiling and bounce right back at you. So my question for you as we look at these, these 12 who were called and they, they were submitting to him, they came unto him. What does God desire in your life right now? What is God calling you to do? Well, the first thing that God calls us to do, first of all, is to come to him for salvation. I would encourage you to submit to him today. Stop fighting. Stop putting it off. Stop waiting for the right time. Today is the right time. Uh, Paul, the Apostle Paul said, now is the accepted time. Behold, today is the day of salvation. Not tomorrow, not someday down the road. Uh, submit to God today. What does God desire in your life? Is it salvation? Submit to Him. Maybe you've been saved and not yet been, followed Him in baptism. Perhaps today you would submit to Him. And uh, let's, let's talk about you getting baptized. Let's set up a time when you and I can visit about that, and we'll get that on the calendar, and, and uh, we'll meet somewhere like Brother Jared and I met at Swadley's to talk about baptism. Barbecue, baptism, come on. <laughs> Baptist church, amen. They all start with B. Let, let, let's, let's have you submit to the Lord in that area. Uh, what about giving your time, your talent, and your treasure to the Lord's work? Submit to God. Stop fighting Him on it. Uh, what about dropping some sinful habit that you, you've hung on to for years and years? Submit to God. Is He calling you, uh, perhaps young people, to give your life uh, in service for Him? I'm thankful for all of those who dedicate their lives and and join the military and give their lives to serve our country. But we need people, young people, to grow up and be willing to give the Lord their lives to serve the Lord. To be in the greatest army of them all, the Lord's army. We need to send forth laborers into the harvest field. There are people who need the Lord, and we need to get people, young people, out into the harvest field. And I realize that God can use people... You know, if, if they're a trash man or if they're a plumber or if they're, uh, you know, a professional mime. I mean, I know God can use you, you know, mime. Okay. Whatever, whatever God wants you to do for your life, I know God can use you in whatever. But, but look, there is a harvest and it is white already unto harvest. 
And uh, we need to get out there with the gospel. And we need more pastors. And we need more missionaries. And we need more uh, servants of the Lord to go out from, uh, from the youth groups of the churches here in America. And I want to encourage some of you young people to be willing to submit to that call as well. It's like the songwriter said. Would you have him make you free and follow at his call? Would you know the peace that comes by giving all? Would you have him save you so that you need never fall? Let him have his way with thee. Why? Because his power can make you what you ought to be. His blood can cleanse your heart and make you free. And his love can fill your soul. And then you will see t'was best for him to have his way with thee. It was best for me to submit to God. You know, as the Lord made it very clear in my life that he wanted our family here in Oklahoma, I could have said, no way. I mean, we're here in Montana. We're seven minutes from a lake. I'm about to get a boat that you can use like two months out of the year because the rest of the time it's frozen over. <laughs> you know, no way. We've got family here. Business is starting to pick up. We're not going, Lord. I could, have, I could have won that battle and stayed in Montana, but do you really think I would be happy right now? I'd have regret in my heart every day. I should have, should have been willing to go. I should have been willing to talk about it more. I'm so glad that I did let the Lord have his way in our lives. Not that there's, it's been easy the entire time. Not that there's not hard days. But it ha I, I believe it was best for me to let him have his way. So we see the, the call of the servants. Let's move on here to number two. The, we see also the commission of the servants. The commission of the servants. And, and we see this in verse number 14 and 15. Verse number 14 says, He ordained twelve that they should be with him and that he might send them forth to preach and to have power to heal sicknesses and to cast out devils. So he gives them a commission to do three things. And I want to very quickly go through those uh, with you. First of all, he commissions them, first and foremost, to be present with Christ. Verse 14, he ordained 12 that they should be with him. Before he was having them do all these great and big, wonderful, amazing things, he first wanted them to spend time with him. If you would very quickly turn to Acts chapter number 4. As you're turning over there, I want to remind you about another um, account in the life of Christ when Mary and Martha were uh, trying to entertain and be hospitable to Jesus. And remember Martha? She was very busy serving. She was getting all the hors d'oeuvres ready and she was, you know, making sure the coffee was just right. And uh, she was making sure she had all the creamers out. And, and I mean, it was starting to get a little bit like, I've got a lot to do. And her sister was just sitting down at the feet of Christ. While Martha had to do all that work. You see, the priority for all of us as we serve the Lord, first and foremost, is to be present with Christ to spend that time with him. Acts chapter number 4 
in verse number 13, if you'd look there. And this is, just to give you a quick context, this is Peter and James and John, and, and uh, Peter just is preaching, and, and uh, verse number 12, uh, when he says that wonderful, wor- wonderful verse, um, neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. So he preaches this boldly. Now verse 13, now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled, and they took knowledge of them, and here's what they saw, that they had been with Jesus. It was obvious to everybody that they had hung out with the Lord Jesus, and it, he was starting to rub off on them. They, they were like, man, these guys are just a bunch of fishermen. They don't really know much, and, and yet they have so much boldness. Where did that boldness come from? Spending time with Jesus. Acts chapter 4, uh, look in with me in verse number 31. Acts 4, verse 31. And when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and then they spake the word of God with boldness. They began to speak the word of God with boldness, but it did not happen before they spent time with the Lord. Before they ever spoke with boldness, they had to be present with Christ. I'm thankful for every person in our church, and you can flip back to Mark chapter 3. I'm thankful for every person in our church who serves in all the various ministries, Sunday school, ushering, the nursery, especially the nursery, the music ministry, the preaching, all the different ministries that we have. But can I encourage all of us who are serving in the ministry in some way, shape, or form to please be sure to spend time with Him before you go and serve Him? Because if we don't, we'll set ourselves up to fall into that same critical spirit that Martha had as she looked at Mary sitting there going, how come she's just sitting there when all this work needs to be done? Man, I have to do everything around here. Well, Martha, I mean, those things need to be done perhaps, but Mary has chosen that good part. Mary wasn't looking at Martha with a, with a critical eye. She wasn't going, oh, Lord, why is she so busy serving and, and she not coming over and sitting down here? She wasn't critical. Why? Because she was there spending time with Christ. And that's really the antidote to a critical spirit. Uh, There's a lot of church members all across this nation and world who are busy serving. And it's like, man, seems like I'm the only one that is willing to serve and volunteer around here. Everybody else just sits on their seat, their blessed assurance like a you know, bump on a log, and I have to do everything around here. It just ain't right. Just a bunch of, you know, lazy bone Joneses out there. Uh, can I just encourage somebody who has that spirit to spend time with the Lord? Because that will fix that in a big way. Um, we will begin to see ourselves as better than others because we're so busy serving. And we will look down at others. We'll become... 
we see ourselves as better, and then we will become bitter towards others. Um, we need to be present with Christ. So important to have that daily time with Him, especially before we go and serve the Lord. So first he says in verse number 14 that they should be with Him. That is listed first for a reason. So to be present with Christ. Secondly, to preach Christ. Verse number 14, He ordained them that they should be with Him and that, they, that He might send them forth to preach. Well, verse 15 talks about power to heal sicknesses and to cast out devils. That's more exciting than preaching. I mean, we get seeing these miracles and seeing people healed, and that's pretty exciting. But preaching, uh, can we just skip that? No, Jesus says more important than healing temporary physical sickness is preaching the truth that will heal people spiritually permanently. And so that's the emphasis that he puts upon them, and that should be our emphasis as well. I'm all for praying for people uh, to get better, and, and uh, I obviously don't want anyone to be possessed with devils. More, more important than those in the order of importance here is preaching Christ, preaching the truth that will uh, Christ will um, quench that thirst forever. Whereas someone is healed from a sickness, well, three years later, they might get another sickness. And ultimately, we're all physically going to die, aren't we? So let's be focused on things that matter for eternity, first and foremost. So to be present with Christ is what he sent them out to do. And then to also be to preach Christ, and then thirdly, to have the power of Christ. And we see that there in verse number 15. To have the power to heal sicknesses and to cast out devils. So that was the commission of the service servants. And then number three, and uh, we'll wrap it up with this, and that is the categories of the servants. Verses 16 through 19. We see the identity of these disciples, these apostles, who they were. And uh, as Mark makes his way through this list of individuals, it's interesting how they're grouped here. And again, when, when Mark is writing, he's not putting the numbers next to these verses. That was added much later after uh, the Bible was put together. But in the order here, and it seems like these are broken up into different categories, and so I want to take a moment and look at these Categories. First of all, we see the close category. Those who were closest to Jesus. In verse number uh, 16, it says, Simon, he surnamed Peter. Now, Mark listed these first, and there is a principle of first mention. We do this at our own conversation, don't we? Kind of what comes out of our mouth first kind of is maybe perhaps most important to us. Just this past week, we were at dinner over at my in-law's house celebrating Julie's uh, birthday. I was going to tell you which birthday it was, but that's not nice to say publicly. Um, let's just say it's between 29 and 100. Now I'm in trouble, okay? <laughs> now I'm in, I did it just now. Uh, just kidding. We were over having just a, a, a nice time over there, and, and uh, Mark and Faith, 
we're sitting at a table with Aunt Jeannie. And uh, I don't know how it came up, but um, the question was to Mark, you know, well, hey, there's only a few ladies in your life that you can kiss right now. Again, I don't know how this all came up. Uh, I was kind of sitting at the other table where the word kiss kind of caught my attention, and so I started paying attention there. Um, and, uh, and then Mark said, well, I can kiss five girls right now. Like, probably on the cheek is what he's thinking. But I could kiss five girls right now. And then he listed them. I can kiss Aunt Jeannie. I can kiss Mommy, Nana, Faith, and Abby, our dog. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Aunt Jeannie was there sitting at that table. And she happened to catch the fact that Mark said Aunt Jeannie first. And she's like, hey, I noticed that you said my name first. That must mean I'm the most important lady in your life, you know, or something like that. She just made a big deal about it. And, uh, and here, here as, as Mark is listing these disciples, these apostles, he, he does the same thing. He, he mentions the first as the one that's most important to him. Um, and uh, I think the Holy Spirit allowed this to happen because Peter really was kind of the ringleader, the spokesperson. Of course, he was a spokesperson for the disciples. Uh, not usually a good thing. Sometimes it was. Um, but uh, he ended up being the, the loudest. And, uh, but he definitely had some leadership ability. And Peter was, was listed there. And, and, uh, and with all of his ups and downs, Peter went on to preach on the day of Pentecost. And 3,000 people were saved and baptized. He was the one who, uh, he was the apostle to the Jews and wrote two books of the Bible, 1st and 2nd Peter. And he heavily influenced the book of Mark as he was the eyewitness that Mark uh, interviewed uh, to get the content for the gospel of Mark. And so Peter was listed here. And then, and then we have the other two that were in the inner circle, James and John. And they're found in verse number uh, uh, six, 17. There it is. James and John, the sons of thunder. And uh, there's also a name in there that I cannot pronounce, um, but uh, they're the sons of thunder. And then these three, these three, Peter, James, and John, spent the most time with the Lord Jesus. These three men were present with Jesus during some special events where the others were not. They they got to be eyewitnesses of Jesus' transfiguration. Uh, the others did not get to see that, but Peter, James, and John did. They got to witness Jesus raising Jairus' daughter from the dead. The others did not. They got to accompany him while he prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. Uh, those moments before he's arrested and, and uh, taken and, and uh, before the cross, they got to be there. Remember, he said, watch and pray, and they got so tired they fell asleep. Thus, these three witnesses, Jesus' greatest moments of glory and his darkest trials, they were his closest disciples. They were the inner circle of Jesus. But then we have another category of disciples. We have the crowd. In verse number 18, he lists all eight disciples, eight apostles in this one verse, in this one little uh, section here. And Andrew and Philip and Bartholomew and Matthew, Thomas, James... Thaddeus, and Simon the Canaanite. Now, these men were disciples, to be sure, but we know little about what they did other than Matthew, who was a tax collector and went on to write the Gospel of Matthew. 
Now, these in the crowd were there, but they're really not mentioned much as you read through the gospel story. That's not to say that these, weren't, these men were not important, but uh, if I had the choice to be in the crowd or in the close category of the disciple, I'm choosing the close category. I want to be in Jesus' inner circle. I want to be that close to him. I don't want to just be a disciple and kind of do the bare minimum. Now, again, I, I know that God had a purpose and plan for all this and taking the sovereignty of God out. I, I can't do that. But if I have a choice, the Lord's going to call me to be one of his followers. I want to be the one who is the closest to him. I want to be there and uh, to allow him to use me in a great way. I don't want to just be one of the crowd. And notice the inner circle, there's fewer in number there. Only three. In the crowd, a lot bigger crowd. Eight. Most people fall into that. I'm just going to go to church, you know, and, and you know, kind of just lay low. I, I'm here, but I'm just going to lay low, low profile, you know. Don't notice me. Don't have me serve. Don't have me do anything. I'll just be here. But then there's those close ones that say, man, I want to be a part of it. I want to see this church go forward. I want to, I want to be involved in serving the Lord. I want to, I want to be active. I, I, I'm here and I'm all in. Which one are you? Part of the crowd or part of the close, the close uh, category? And then we see the last category here in verse number 19, and that is the counterfeit category. Verse number 19, and Judas Iscariot, which also betrayed him, and they went into an house. Here we have Judas. Judas, think about this, spent three and a half years with the Lord Jesus Christ himself and still did not personally believe. It is in Judas's life that we see that it is entirely possible to be in church for years and still not be a Christian. Judas maybe perhaps had a profession of faith because he was there with everybody and he was willing to follow. But he did not possess faith. He may have turned over a new leaf, but he did not receive new life. He had not personally believed on Christ. I read about a man being tailgated by a woman who was in a, was in a great hurry. So he comes to an intersection and when the light turns yellow, he hits the brakes the woman behind him goes ballistic. She honks her horn at him. She yells her frustration in no uncertain terms. She rants and gives all kinds of different gestures. While she is in mid-rant, someone taps on her window. And she looks up and sees a policeman. He invites her out of her car, takes her to the police station where she is searched and fingerprinted and put into a cell. After a couple of hours, she is released. And the arresting officer gives her her personal effects, saying, I'm really sorry. I'm so very sorry for the mix-up, ma'am. See, I pulled up behind your car while you were blowing your horn, using bad gestures and bad language. And I, I noticed the, what would Jesus do bumper sticker on your car? The choose life license plate holder the follow me to Sunday school window sign and the Christian fish emblem on your trunk. 
and I naturally assumed that you had stolen the car. Here, here's a counterfeit. How many of us are in that category? Uh, we maybe have a Cornerstone Baptist Church sticker on our car. You're like, that's why I don't put one on there, Pastor. <laughs> you ain't going to get me to put one of those on my car. No way, no how. I'm on to you. See, the world gets pretty tired of people who have Christian bumper stickers on their cars, Christian fish signs on their trunks, Christian books on their shelves, Christian stations on the radios, Christian jewelry around their necks, Christian videos for their kids, Christian magazines for their coffee tables, but don't actually have the life of Jesus in their hearts. Judas looked like a disciple. He probably knew exactly what to say, what to do. In fact, remember, he was the most trusted of the bunch, so much so that he was the treasurer. And yet he still was a counterfeit. And right now, Judas is burning in hell. Right this very minute, obviously how tragic, a man who walked and talked with the Lord Jesus for over three years. He heard the greatest sermons ever preached, saw countless miracles take place before his very eyes. Watched the Son of God live everyday life. And in the upper room saw Jesus wash the disciples' feet, including his own. Serve the bread and the cup, and yet still chose to reject him as Savior. Have you ever wondered why Jesus chose Judas to be his disciple? When he knew that Jesus would be a counterfeit disciple? Jesus knows all, does he not? Perhaps one reason was to show us that it is possible to be around the truth for a long time, but still not receive it. I wonder if there's somebody in here today who you have known what the truth is, but you've never personally received it. Are you a counterfeit disciple? Today could be the greatest day of your life, and you get that settled today. And I'm not concerned about you turning over a new leaf What God's most concerned about is you receiving new life. And so I'm not concerned with the outward stuff. It's Jesus on the inside. So we see the categories of the disciples. I just want to wrap it up this, well, it's afternoon now. Somebody's alarm. My alarm was going off telling me it was time to end. I heard it. I heard it. And I am, I am almost done. But almost every one of those apostles, those disciples that he called, those 12 that were chosen, every one of them suffered, almost every one of them suffered the death of a martyr with the exception of two. Judas took his own life. And John. The following accounts were taken from the book Martyr's Mirror. Here's what happened to Simon Peter, the one who was willing to follow and, and uh, submit to the Lord. He was crucified upside down in Rome by Nero. Andrew, he was crucified at uh, Patras in Achaia. 
James, the brother of John, he was put to death by Herod Agrippa, beheaded in A.D. 45. John the Beloved, he was the one who was the other one who did not die uh, a martyr's death. The Romans did try to boil him in oil, but he was miraculously spared and banished to the desert island of Patmos, and later he returned to Ephesus and died peacefully around A.D. 101. Philip, his head was bound to a pillar as he was stoned to death at Hierapolis in Perga. Bartholomew, he was, he was first greatly tortured and then flayed alive, which is skinned alive, and finally beheaded by, king, by a king in Armenia around AD 70. Matthew, he was crucified, stoned, and decapitated by the Jews. Thomas, he was tortured with red-hot plates cast into a furnace and his side pierced with spears that uh, he was pierced with spears. James, the son of Alphaeus, he was cast down from the temple, stoned and beaten to death with a club. Simon the Zealot, he was crucified in a very painful way by a certain governor in Syria. And Judas, the son of James, he was beaten to death by pagan priests in Persia. So who else wants to be chosen? <laughs> Not exactly a great advertisement for it. These men were willing to follow, and it ended up costing most of them their life. Uh, today, God is looking for those who'd be willing to follow him. not going to say it's going to always be easy. In fact, we're called to carry our cross and follow him, and that cross is not usually an instrument of pleasure. It's an instrument of pain and death, is it not? Are we willing to follow him? A lot of other things we could... Uh, I could remind you about that we mentioned this morning, but I'll let the Holy Spirit do that, and uh, we'll go ahead and conclude in prayer. Lord, thank you so much for allowing us to be here today. Thank you for this account of you choosing the 12th. And Lord, so many truths that we saw today, I pray, Lord, that uh, you'd bring up the truth that each person needs to deal with, each person needs to respond to. And Lord, as you do, I pray that we would, like the disciples did, as you called, they submitted. Lord, I pray that there would be a heart of submission in every heart today. That all of us would be willing to do what you are calling us to do right now with this message. Lord, this message wasn't just given us for our information, just to increase our knowledge. It was to change our lives. And so, Lord, I pray that you'd use now this time to change our lives. Help us, Lord, to make decision based on what you've spoken to us about. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. I'm going to ask the musicians to play through on this uh, first verse. Have thine own way, Lord. Have thine own way. And as they do, I'll be quiet and let you have a time of prayer there in your seat as, we, uh, as they play. <laughs>